Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. Mark Sheeran and I will be talking today about, well, addiction. What else? And how exactly do you stop yourself when you're in the midst of a binge? We wrote the Freedom Model for Addictions, Escape the Treatment and Recovery Trap, and the Freedom Model for the Family to help people to learn how they can solve addiction and move on with their lives. We offer an incredible opportunity to work with us directly in private one-on-one classes. You can do it here at our beautiful St. Jude Retreat or over Zoom. You can learn about all of our products at thefreedommodel.org. And, you know, I'm working with, I have about five Zoom students now, and I've been talking to a lot of different people. I've talked to people online as well. And the question has come up when you're in the midst of that binge, you know, you, you get the, for lack of a better term, you get the fuckets. Yeah. You, you know, you, you feel shameful, you feel overwhelmed with life and the problems in your life, um, and you, you genuinely feel out of control like there's nothing you can do um to make your life better you know it's that feudal state um so how do people break out of that how do people stop i know mark and i both did at the at the worst points um but i'm gonna let mark talk about talk about it first well i think that first we have to talk about the fact that uh our society thinks that drinking and drugging is uh a disease, right? And that <clears throat> that you have no choice in right. the matter. And uh, it's a strange idea because I've ne- in t- 31 years of helping people, I've never met a single drinker or drug taker that said that once they started, they couldn't stop forever. Right. Now they'll say, once I start, I can't stop. That's a, an old AA mantra, an old 12-step idea that started this disease ball rolling um but people don't look at that and say wait a minute uh if you once you start you don't stop that's sort of an absolute statement and if it were a disease you would continue to drink to your demise because that's what diseases do they they take over the host so but that's not what happens i mean if you look at it i like i said i've never met somebody that starts to drink and never stops they don't become a drinking zombie they don't become a drug taking zombie uh what they become is a person that will eventually just stop and it doesn't matter how deep the binge is it doesn't matter really what happens Um, of course we have the daily drinkers who maintain to avoid withdrawal but uh what we're talking about here is a different situation where a person is binging and hitting it heavy for a period of time, and then and then they stop for a period of time, then they go back to it, and that's that's even for the daily drinkers, they eventually stop, they go to detox, and we hear the stories over and over. I've never met somebody that started drinking once at fifteen, let's say, and then drank themselves to death without a single day off. I've never met one in thirty-one years. No. Now there might be a listener out there that's that guy. I'd like to I'd like to use you as a case study mm-hmm. um, because that would interest me. Um, so, you know, contact us if, if that's the case. And I would love to, to have the challenge of talking with you. Um, but, but in 31 years, I haven't met it, uh, that person yet. So, um, so the question becomes, uh, first of all, we know that the, the theory that once you start, you can't stop is not true. Right. Because if it were true, 
it's sort of an a binary thing. If, if, it's if easy you can, to measure. Yeah, if you can't stop, you can't stop. Right, right I mean, for any reason. Exactly. Um, but the problem is with the theory is that everybody stops. <laughs> everybody. <laughs> Every- At one point or another, everybody stops. Yeah. And uh, now I don't want some snarky person calling in and saying, well, you know, but this guy drank and then he died, you know, in his last bender. We all die. That's yes. 100% of the time is every single None one of us. None of us are going to get out of this alive. Right. <laughs> right. So so the, the idea of a random death or an untimely death happening as a result of drinking, we're not saying that that doesn't happen. What we're saying is that uh, the theory of, you know, once you start, you can't stop is being as bullshit, which it is. Um, so people will call me or Michelle or Steve and they'll say, you know, how do you stop drinking? How do you stop? And I say, well, how did you the last time? Right. That's my number one question. Yeah. And they go, well, I I haven't. And I say, well, ever? And they say, well, no, I, 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 you know. It's only, it's been three weeks. I've been, I've been drinking three weeks. It's like, okay, so the last time, you know, before you started drinking this time, what did you do? And here's what's interesting. You get a variety of answers. So I'm going to go through a couple of the answers. Um, one is, uh, well, I, I got myself into a detox, and then, uh, you know, I went to rehab, mm-hmm. and then I was sober for 90 days. I did my 90 and 90 in AA, and then I drank right after. And I say, so when you went to the detox, did they grab you, strap you down, and force you not to drink because you were a drink-taking zombie? Now, I'm using that terminology, and I'm not trying to be snarky or be a jerk. Um, but if you if you adhere to this idea that once you start, you can't stop, that would have to be the case, right? right? Somebody must have tricked you to go to the hospital. They captured you, threw you in a rubber room, tackled you, strapped you down to a table, and forced you to go through withdrawal, take Librium, you know, put an IV in you, and got you through that window, where the disease was now reversed. This biopsychosocial religious disease has been reversed, right? Against your will. An external source of intervention called treatment. Um, if that's the case, uh, you would be the unicorn, right? I mean, you would be the one person that I've met in 31 years where that actually happened to you. Um, I, I don't think that's true. I think most people stop. When the pain gets too much, they stop. And they stop by the same method that uh, anybody stops. And that is they see the alternative, which is to, to stop as being the more positive experience, the happier option at that time. Right. And it doesn't really matter if you went to rehab. It doesn't matter if you went to detox. It doesn't matter if it was because your family did an intervention. It doesn't matter if your doctor told you to quit or you die. It doesn't matter. And none of those things, if you didn't see stopping as the better alternative, you wouldn't have done it because when you're drinking, you see drinking as the happier alternative, and that's why you do that. So the same rule applies to sobriety that applies to drinking, and that is you see it as the better option. Yeah, I mean, that that really puts it in a nutshell. Now, I know that some people, and because I've had this conversation recently, will say, well, you know, that's that's easy for you to say, right? 
but when you're when you're sitting there thinking and you're deliberating, right? You're you're thinking, uh, you know, I want to drink and I don't want to drink, and and those things are seem to kind of be equal on the on the teeter totter, so to speak. Yeah, on the scale. Yeah. So you benefit know, scale. Yeah. So so when you get to that point. And and we've both Mark and I have been there. I'm sure Stephen mm-hmm. has been there. Oh yeah. Um, where you're just you're like, can I be happier, drinking or not drinking? You're not thinking about it in those terms as much as you're thinking. You know, I just don't want the consequences. I don't want to go down this road again. I don't want to feel out of control anymore. Um, if you get to that point, you know, most of us. When we stop, that's we get to that point and we think, I'm just going to try it. I'm going to try abstinence for a period of time and just see if it's better. Uh, or what if you're a person who, who binges and then sobers up for a bit and then binges again? And you're I, what Michelle just described, that hopeless feeling. When I was just talking about, you know, everything in a nutshell, I was avoiding specifically the details of that kind of situation. So now let's delve into those details. So I felt hopeless. I felt like I couldn't stop drinking or drugging. I felt like I couldn't stop at periods. Um, So I understand what you're talking about. I understand that really well. So here's the problem. The problem in those situations is that you're a believer in two things. One in this nebulous sort of um, thing called addiction that's out to get you. Now, you don't frame it that way. You don't say it that way because that would seem ridiculous. But you do. Be- you are a believer that addiction happens to you and that this force, whatever it is, is, is taking over your will, your thoughts. You crave and you can't stop yourself. When you frame drinking or drugging or any activity as if it there you don't have a choice in it you do believe it's a disease that's what a disease is is when a pathogen takes over your body whether you like it or not so once you get into the loss of control or this nebulous addiction ideology that it's out there to get me and that it's something i have to battle that isn't me or my thoughts, the addiction is really you and your thoughts, by the way. But once you separate it from yourself and you make it external to you, and what you've done then is you've you've jumped into the religion of addiction ideology. And that means that a drug has powers. It has a mind of its own. We've talked about this in every single, uh, probably every single podcast at some point, but it, it bears repeating because people don't get it. Uh, until they hear it a few times and they're like, holy shit, I really believe in this stuff. I, did, I didn't know that I'm a believer. And, uh, and it's really detrimental um, because then it actually does feel like a religion. It feels like, oh my God, there is something out there. And AA sort of, in a, in a sort of comical way, they try to be funny. My disease is out in the parking lot doing push-ups. You know, it never stops. Um, once I drink, I start off where I left off maybe five years ago, if I have five years of sobriety. Those ideas are they're nonsensical, but when you believe them, then you're believing that there's an entity called addiction that is out to get you. And then you've, you've delved into the land of total mythology, 
and that's the religion of addiction and recovery. Um, this idea that there's an outside force called addiction. So, so you gotta, that's the thing that confuses the issue so terribly for people. You already feel hopeless because you're deliberating internally. You're making a decision, a tough choice on something you value. But by taking addiction and placing it outside yourself as this nebulous force, what you do is you, you, you distract yourself with something that's not even real. So how can, you, how can you deliberate properly, figure out what's best for you? How can you make decisions about your consumption when you believe it's not even you choosing it? Do you see the problem? That's a great point. I mean, that's, and that's where a lot of people find themselves when they're, they got the angel and the devil, right? We talk about that on their shoulder. Like, you know, the, the one is saying the craving, the idea of craving is, is a, a, a thought that you invest in and that you ruminate on and you glamorize um the the substance you glamorize using it you think of the ritual you think of how good it would be to be drunk or or high right now and i mean that's what a craving is it's something you actively do let, let me jump in there because yeah. because you're saying something that's really important there and that is notice what michelle is saying you if you were to back up the tape here and listen to the last, I don't know, 30 seconds, you would see that Michelle was saying, you do this, you do this, you do this. But when she started it, she talked about the devil and the angel, right? Now, what what happens, it's like the old cartoons. Some of you, I'm aging myself here, will remember <laughs> the, the devil and the angel on the on the shoulder of Daffy Duck or whoever, whoever, <laughs> whoever it was. But it was used in the cartoons constantly. Um, the interesting thing about that kind of um, image is that they are external to the person. Right. Like there is a devil and an angel that are external to you that aren't you talking in your ear. That is the ideology of addiction, the false idolatry of addiction, the religion of addiction that is not true. If they were to place that devil and that angel directly inside your thoughts and said, and, and the image was of you, that's exactly what's happening. You're deliberating. You are deciding what's best for you. There is no nebulous force outside of you imposing its will upon you. Right. So, so what what Mark was saying earlier is is absolutely true. There's there's nothing outside of you that's going to stop you from drinking, and there's nothing outside of you that's going to make you drink. Um, and and that's why we see through all of the research, through all of the history, that that people do stop. They stop all the time. You know, even the heaviest drinkers, heaviest drug users take a break. Yep. You know, and, yep. and I used to say that. I used to say if addiction was truly a disease, nobody would stop for any reason whatsoever. Well, we look at we would see about anywhere between five to eight percent of the population would we would know they would die. Yes. Yeah. But we don't see that at all. As we, as a matter of fact, we see that ninety percent Ninety point six percent, to be precise, of drinkers of drinkers in that five to ten percent of the population that likes to heavily drink, gets over the problem. So, so what Michelle is saying is that ninety nine out of ten of the drinkers decide at some point the happier option is to stop. That's you, by the way, out there in the audience. That's you. Yeah. You you at some point are going to get sick of this and be done with it and. 
you're going to evolve as a person. I call it, you know, personal evolution. You're going to evolve and you're going to, your preference for drinking is going to become less as you get interested in other things and move on with your life. I mean, that's just the way it works. Yeah. Yeah. So, so look, I, I, when people call us and they're like, you know, I'm, I'm dying. I'm drinking myself to death. And we do get these calls. Oh, yeah. And I and I don't know what to do. I don't know how to stop or a loved one calls us about about somebody that that they know that they love that is doing that. Um, You know, I, I understand, we absolutely understand where they are, and where the belief system is. And the belief system is the problem. It really is the problem. It, coupled with, I mean, there's there's a lot of factors. I mean, our book is pretty long. It's got a lot of a lot of components oh, yeah. to it, yeah. you know. So it's coupled. It's a belief system that they can't stop. Coupled with a belief system that they need alcohol or they need drugs for some reason. Um, that their life that they can't live without it. Right. So now you're talking about the personal preferences. So we're getting away from this loss of control idea or this idea of a nebulous force. And now you're talking about deliberating on what you think is best for you. Right. And with and with bad information. Right. You, you know, the idea that drugs contain some sort of problem-solving capability, for instance, to solve stress, anxiety, uh, mood disorders, all kinds of things that people believe it possesses. And in believing that, it has value. It has real Real value. So we have to debunk, we have to devalue the drug. We have to show you that drugs can't do these things, that we have, we have, we have defined drugs inappropriately as providing all these pleasures when in reality, these are decisions you're making. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, the, I, we can't stress enough with people that um, if there were a drug or a beverage or something that does all of the things that we think drugs and alcohol do that we attribute them doing, everybody would take it. Yeah, there'd be, I mean, if it's solving, these are the big ones, depression, anxiety, and trauma, and right. stress. And stress. If, if alcohol and or drugs could, and the last one for amphetamines is focus, right? That I yep. work better. If I could, so there's five, five big ones. If, if drugs, um, amphetamines and or drugs uh, or alcohol, if they could solve those five human ills, um, my God, everybody would do it, but they don't. Not at all. And the vast majority of the population knows that. They just intuitively know that. They know that the drug isn't, isn't solving those issues. And they look at the evidence and they say, well, it doesn't make sense to me. I don't prefer it. But, but if you go to rehab, they build the drug up so powerfully they, there's so much mythology that they hammer into you that you are absolutely in need of this drug, that you're going to endlessly crave it, that your your brain's been changed in ways that you can never be happy again, that the serotonin and dopamine levels have been altered. It's all total bullshit. It's it, There's no facts behind this information. What they did is they came up with the theories. Then they had research that backed up their theories. They made it that way. Um, and most of that bias isn't on purpose, by the way. It's not some grand conspiracy. There is, of course, some of that present as well with the mm-hmm. drug companies. But but the reality is, as a culture, we believe this shit. We believe this nonsense. Um, so we believe that, that uh, a, a drinker's brain is changed or a methamphetamine user's brain is changed to the point to where they can't uh, feel happiness anymore. That's nonsense. 
That's nonsense. If that were true, then then why do 9 out of 10 people, why do 99% of methamphetamine users get over the problem within a very short period of time? If, if it's so amazing and if it, if it solves or, or any issue or if it changes the brain to where you can't feel happiness, why is it that everybody stops it and moves on with their life? I mean, think about that. If, that, if it was true that people could never be happy after drugs, everybody would be doomed. Yeah. But you're not. Yeah, I think, I think the hardest part for some of our students and our guests that come to the retreat um, is knowing that for the last however many years they've been trying to solve this problem, knowing that they've been duped, um, I, that, that plays in like how can everybody be wrong and you guys are right? Yeah, well, the answer to that is we're not the only ones saying this, and That's we're not right. the only ones that were saying it for fifty years. Okay? Right. I mean, there's been there's been thousands of studies done on on this type of uh, issue in various ways all across the world uh, that proves that that people get over the problem and that what you're being taught in the disease ideal is wrong, is simply flat out misinformation. But here's, here's the, the general answer as to why it keeps chugging along, why this treatment disease machinery keeps absolutely chugging along is because there's, in the United States alone, $40 billion being invested in it. Um, $40 billion worth of income for treatment centers uh, in the United States alone annually. Um, nobody's going to give that up when the entire framework is about Bill Wilson's fantasy that he created in 1939 of a disease. No, I mean, it's, it's a cash cow. It's a math, and it's very easy to manipulate a, a drinker or a drugger and their families. They're fear-ridden. Their lives are in a total mess and tailspin, and people are vulnerable, and it's incredibly easy uh, to manipulate them. Now, is that a conspiracy? Most of the cases, no. It's a system, it, and it's wrong. It's just a system that you've been a part of and gotten sucked into, and, and it's wrong. Unfortunately, you're a victim of that. And, but, and here's the deal. It's, it's five generations deep. So, right. so literally, people are born into a fallen condition in this regard. They're, fall, they're, they're, they're born into a situation of misinformation, and they don't even know it. So that's why uh, we're the only one on the hilltop saying, hey, this is wrong, because somebody had to come along and break that glass. And that well, was I remember when I, the first, the first kind of non-disease book I read was Stanton Peel's The Diseasing of America, and I thought it was remarkable. Um, I thought, why, why isn't this everywhere? Um, you know, why aren't people reading this? It made perfect sense to me. I think it was his best book. Yeah. I do. And it's awesome. And it was interesting because I, I was in college at the time and I was taking classes on treatment modalities and we had that book and then we had a few other books that were mainstream, you know, treat addiction, treatment, mainstream, the disease, pushing pushing the disease. And, um, and I, I was already writing and working here um i was on in school online and i had to be in these forums these discussion forums and people were just blasting stanton's book you know in these discussion forums and then and then i would end up getting blasted and and i thought i finally had to go to my professor and and say "I'm, i'm not partaking in these forums anymore because i've actually worked helping people for the last 15 years at that point and um and i know stanton's right (laughs) 
yeah. But but here here were a bunch of future treatment providers, right? Future CACs and you know all counselors and psychologists all going to school with me who just basically dismissed everything that the diseasing of America said and jumped on what and here's the thing all the other treatment modality books that I read were all the same and it was all about controlling people that's what it's about that's it's uh, there's two models there's the freedom model which is ours. Yep. And then there is the control model, which is everybody else. In yep. one form or another, they're going to slip in a need for structure, a need for a therapist, a need for a meeting. Somewhere there'll be a tricky little, you need this recipe. You need a recovery of some kind. You need, because, you know, and they'll go, you need, you need and it'll be some kind of a support thing. And, and once you start going there, uh, that is a slippery slope because no human being, when it comes to drinking and drugging behavior, needs anything but their own mind to determine what's best for them. They just need to be introduced to the idea, does this make you happy? Oh, and by the way, drugs don't do what you think they do. Yep. Those yep. two pieces. If you know those two pieces and you know the science behind the fact that drugs don't provide these m- massive promises that treatment wants to make you believe they do – uh, if you if you get rid of that, you're golden. You're going to move on. You're going to say, oh, I don't need that anymore. Well, and you know, it starts with a basic premise that if you like intoxication, if you like being high, then you're broken, right? Yeah. Yes. That it's not okay. It's not okay to admit that, well, I really like getting drunk, like really drunk. Well, that's the moral side yes. of, of the treatment industry that's going to guilt you into treatment, right? Yeah. And there's nothing more effective to make people um, behave. Conform. In, yep. Mm-hmm. That's perfect. To, to conform than their own guilt. In the Middle Ages, you had the sale of indulgences. If you wanted your sins absolved, you had to pay the church, right? The sale of indulgences. Um, so you were buying God's love. We do the same thing with treatment, with climate change, car- carbon <laughs> tax, with, I mean, there's all these different Wearing ways. Wearing masks. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> Virtue signaling. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that, that people um, feel guilty, feel scared. Yes. And then uh, give up their own ability to think. That's it. And so, so just know that. The choice to to not drink and drug is like any other choice. It's a choice to say, would I be happier moving in this direction? And the drug doesn't do what I think it does. Let me get into the science of that. And that's what chapters, what? 17 through 20. Deals with that. Deals with that. Um, Shedding, you know, it's important to shed that identity that you're an addict, that you're broken, that there's something permanently wrong with you that makes you keep using against your will. Um, It's important to debunk the idea that there is some disease, that there's an imaginary line that you cross. And that's, I would, I would suggest reading the first five chapters for that. There's tons of data in there. And this is the freedom model for addictions. If you, if you're not privy to that. Yeah. So look at, if you're at that point and you're like, how do I stop drinking? How do I stop doing drugs? You stop, and you try to be happier without it. 
Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't need a program for that part. Nope. I, I, I got myself into a heap of trouble, and I, I just was. I think it took me about six months to figure this out, though. And I was drinking every day, and I was drinking a ton, and I was really sick, and I was shaking in the morning, and I was going through yep. all of that. And then I just said, one day I, I'm done. I gotta, I gotta move on with my life. And, and it was an exciting time in my life, and I was happier not getting blitzed. Um, I think the hard part in the beginning, if there is a hard part, at least for me, was the simple habit of it all, the spurious thoughts that I would have about yeah. drinking because it was such a big part of my life. But, but I just, I just buckled down and hammered forward, you know. Um, so if you want to know more about this, uh, we've co- I, I don't want to get into another topic. So, because um, this was a very clean, informative uh, podcast. So if you want more information, I suggest you. You read the book, The Freedom Model for Addictions, Escape the Treatment and Recovery Trap, and you can get your free copy at thefreedommodel.org and use uh, coupon code FREEDOM100. That's the word freedom and then 100. Thank you, everybody, for listening today. As always, if you have questions you can um, about any of our services, about our books, we also have The Freedom Model for the Family. Um, if you know somebody who could benefit from that, Um, You can call us at 888-424-2626. And and we also have the the retreat, the St. Jude Retreat. We've been running that for 31 years. We've had almost 10,000 people come through and learn the freedom model there um, as well. So if you want more information, go to our websites. Soberforever.net is our retreat website. Um, at thefreedommodel.org is our hub. It has a ton of free resources and information, including videos, these podcasts, free eBooks, and information about our at-home private instruction program that we do via Zoom. You can get free digital editions of our books. That's they're free to our podcast listeners by going for the to the Freedom Model for Addictions, like Mark said. Uh, type in coupon code Freedom One Hundred. Both the books are available that way. Um, that will download to your mobile device you can get paperback and kindle versions on amazon or one of the other online retailers um, and if you have questions you can send them to info at thefreedommodel.org or call us at 888-424-2626 follow us on social media including facebook twitter instagram linkedin and subscribe to the freedom model youtube channel We have three Facebook groups we started for people to discuss their experiences, breaking free from addiction and perpetual recovery. They are the Freedom Model Group, Moving Beyond Addiction and Recovery, and Families Moving Beyond Addiction and Recovery. You can join us on Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time when we do a Facebook Live question and answer session. It usually lasts about 40 minutes, um, and we will be doing one this Wednesday. From everyone here at the Freedom Model, we wish you well. Until next time. And if you need detox, you can go to Gallus Detox. That's G A L L U S Detox.com.